name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 674. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, um, we're going to play a few clips and have a discussion about a TED Talk that I watched a few, about a month ago, and I kept meaning to bring it to the podcast, but we just decided to go with other things. But today is the day where we're going to do it. And the name of the TED Talk is called, oh, what is it called? I can tell you what it's about. Loretta Ross, Don't Call People Out, Call Them In. It's got 73,000 views. I wish it would have 7 million views because it's it's one that I like that much. Mm-hmm. But um, this woman talks about the call-out culture and public and shame, pump, public shaming and blaming on social media and in real life. And Loretta is her name. She gives us a tool, toolkit for starting productive conversations instead of fights. Yeah, I think from what I, I re-listened to, or I listened to it this morning, and I think the gist is that she has been a social activist her whole life. And she has also worked um, within hate groups, mm-hmm. meaning she has been asked to get information on mm-hmm. um, and talk with people who have been involved with hate groups. And what she's learned through her experience, which is what most social activists have learned and told us, is the whole idea of calling people out, which we know we would call it cancel culture. Yep. It's not very helpful. And it's not a very self-aware state of being. She yeah. talked a lot about how, um, you know, calling people out, you really have to be clear about what your intention is, what your goal is. And she focuses on, as you said, Todd, calling people in, which I hear people using that language all the time. Now it's been around for a while, but we're going to talk through what that really looks like. Sure. And then also calling on people. So calling out, calling in and calling on. And Todd and I were having a discussion this morning about how he, he like like he said, he's the one who, you know, saw this TED Talk and asked me to watch it. You know where I found this? Where? Uh, it was on Adam Grant's list of TED Talks in 2021. Oh, doesn't surprise me at all because yeah. that's totally his yeah. his world of, um, you know, when I say his world, he talks a lot about questioning. Obviously, his book is Think Again, but he talks a lot about humility. He talks a lot about learning. He talks about a lot about unlearning um, and that we have to be willing to, like, progress our thinking when mm-hmm. it comes how to when it comes to creating change and you and I were talking this morning about not only was this powerful when it comes to social activism but it's powerful in parenting too it's powerful in partnership like the I think what we learn in this TED talk is how to relate to people and what people can actually hear mm-hmm. so I think it'll I think it's relevant to every relationship yeah we're going to start with the um maybe overall social context and then bring it into the parenting context. Sounds good. But first, a few things. I meant to bring this up last week, and it's hard for me not to talk about this without my judgment hat on, my darling. Judgment hats. So you might need to help me not be so judgmental. Okay. We talked about this. You and I did, but not on the podcast. Okay. This summer, Cassville School District in Western Missouri gave the okay to bring back spanking. Okay. District told parents that it would start swatting students with paddles as a punishment for misbehavior. Kids would only be spanked if their parents give written permission with a choice to opt out later. The district also claims it will only swat kids as a last resort and that it will not be done in front of their peers. The other rules are that two workers must be present and they cannot hit students in the head or the face. The measure is a school board response to a survey sent to the parents, students, and staff, which found the parents were worried about student behavior. Many states have outlawed, outlawed corporal punishment in schools, but Missouri is one of 19 that still allows it. Sure. So, yeah, this is a challenge for me because I think that this is not the best way to motivate children and inspire children to be the best versions of themselves. Well, I would even rephrase that. It's not that you think. It's that we know from research that this doesn't change behavior. Well, I think it and there's research to back it up. Yeah, you think it and there's research. And we also know that not only does it not change behavior, but it actually can be 
uh, it teaches that, you know, inflicting harm or that violence is what creates change. Um, it creates a lot of shame and a lot of internal trauma um, and external trauma, obviously physically. Um, it creates a non-trusting environment. Um, there's not a lot of room for discussion or processing or how to change behavior in a way where a kid understands, you know, this is, this is what you did and here's another option. It just goes straight to, you're going to be hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what it speaks to, it's always, it's always frustrating for me to hear stories like this as well. Um, but what it speaks to is the hard, how certain things are just, um, if we grow up with something, if there is a kind of behavior that became normalized in our family and our culture and our community when we were growing up, it's a very hard thing for people to let go of right. because they assume it to be truth and they assume they have built stories around the fact why it changed who they are and their behavior. Mm -hmm. They, and when I say they've they've built they have stories, I'm not saying that they're lying. I'm saying that there is an there's a they have narrated their lives in such a way that where they say to themselves, if I hadn't been spanked, then I wouldn't turn out to be the person I am. Mm -hmm. And what, and, and we all do that. Like, let's take it off of spanking for a second. We can look at our histories and how many things that have happened to us that were, were, were bad yeah. as, or harmful. Have we said, well, here's what I learned from this. Mm -hmm. And there is a, you know, um, a way that we can take, you know, post-traumatic change. Wait, no, that's not the right thing. Post-traumatic growth is a real thing where when you've had a certain trauma, you can grow from it. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that understanding, but we have to be, we have to use some common sense in here and a little bit of nuance of that when we know research-wise and when the people who actually work with kids all the time understand that it harms them in the long term, but then educators or people who, or parents or whoever who say, well, I grew up with it. I think we should do it anyway. Like they're not listening to expertise. They're not listening to research. And that's always what's frustrating to me is the information is available to you, mm -hmm. but instead you're going off of your own narrative right. of that you think this works because of your personal experience. And um, and it's unfortunate. It's a backpedal for sure, backslide. Um, so maybe we can talk about this once we get to Loretta Ross, because I find myself wanting to call those people out that okay. believe in this. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to, yeah. but I'm just being honest. Like, yeah, like part of me wants you to want get to judgmental mm -hmm. and make them feel bad, right. which doesn't help. Right. Um, so maybe we'll get to that. Um, a little bit on a lighter note. Okay. I titled this call, We Have Food at Home. You titled this call? What do you mean call? I have this take, this take that I'm, the thing I'm about to say oh, to you. Okay. I'm calling it, We Have Food at Home. Okay. Because we like to eat out, don't we, sweetie? Oh, yeah. It's so much easier. In the unlikely event that you're, you're a teenager reading this and trying to convince your parents to eat out this weekend, we have some statistical backup for you to deploy. Okay, let's hear it. In the last 12 months, grocery store prices have jumped up 13.1% in the U.S., while the cost of eating away from home has only gone up 76 over that same period. Oh, that's good news for me. So, yeah, for those of us who like to uh, go to Chipotle and go to the breakfast place, you you got mm -hmm. some... some some research backup. Well, and I set boundaries around these things. And this is just me. I'm not telling anybody how to do this. Um, but we, I mean, sometimes you're right. Like we may go to brunch on a certain day, but 99% of the time we eat breakfast at home mm -hmm. because we just have smoothies and the girls have their own breakfast. And then sometimes we eat lunch out, you and I, if we're working together, but most of the time we eat at home. And then really the meal that we would eat out like um, is dinner mm -hmm. because that's when everyone's already had a day when that's the most tiring <laughs> meal to make. Right. So, but we do, I'd say we cook maybe two or three nights a week and then go out the other or have food in. Probably closer to two. Maybe. It just depends. Like it depends if on the week. It does. And it depends who's here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because sometimes if, if everybody's going to be home, we're going to, you know, maybe more we're going to grill or yeah. something. But if there's two of us, it makes more sense to get Chipotle. Um, and a week from Saturday, September 17th, I'm going to be uh, representing Zen Parenting Radio and Men Living on the NAMI Walk. Mm -hmm. NAMI stands for National Alliance of Mental Illness. And I want to give a shout out to Pogbear. My aunt, your aunt, mm -hmm. our aunt, who made a nice, really nice donation to the cause to support NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness. So if anybody wants to either donate or walk with me, uh, I know I have a few buddies that are coming with me, but there's not that many 
that are going to be walking on behalf of our team. So if there's any Chicago area people that want to hang out with me on a Saturday afternoon in the south side of Chicago, please let me know. And you scroll down. Will you put this in the show notes? It's in the show notes, yeah. Everything we say as far as promotion or announcements, it's all in the show notes. And then lastly, sweetie, you had a Zen Parenting moment. Uh And it was called Right Now, Comma, Today. And you always started out with a quote, and it's from Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist. Correct. And it says, life is the moment we are living right now. It should be Captain Obvious, even though most of us don't ever... I don't ever... think people know that. I, I think that the words are obvious, yeah, but yeah, yeah. life is what's happening when you're making other plans, right? Yeah. And that's another way of saying life is right now, because most people think life is their vacation, or life is when their kid goes to you know preschool, or life is when... You know, we're, we're all confused about what life is. Wasn't that a John Lennon quote? Life is what happens when you're busy making other mm-hmm. plans? Yeah. So if, I don't know who came first, Coelho or John Lennon, but... Uh... I think they're saying the same thing in a different way. I think they are too. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to say about this Zen Parenting moment, which anybody can subscribe to, comes out every Friday? Well, you didn't say anything about it. I mean, I guess the whole point was that um, not that decision making is not about making a right decision Mm -hmm. um, that everybody will agree with that, but that decision making is about making a right decision right now in this moment with your set of circumstances and your personal history. And that would mean that there's going to be a lot of different right answers. Right. So I just, I, I still talk to people who are struggling to make the one right answer or, you know, to find the one right solution. And there is no such thing. There's only a solution right now today. Yeah. And that's your, your last sentence is there are choices that others will want you to make. And then there is the choice you make based on your specific set of circumstances right now today. Correct. And you could make the most well thought out, research based, agreed upon decision. And it may not go as you thought it was going to. Yeah. And you could also make a very flippant, I feel this in the moment decision and everything works out perfectly. So it's again, another way of dealing with the certainty, uncertainty and unpredictability of the world is sometimes you just make the best decision for this moment right now based on these circumstances and that's the best you can do and i just like to let not that it's me letting them off the hook really but i like to point that out to people because don't you feel like sometimes there's like got to be a right decision and there really isn't there's just a decision yeah well i don't know i like to make the decision that's going to cause me the least amount of discomfort yeah i mean but even if that. that happens I can still learn from the choice that gave me more discomfort than the others. Well, like, for example, let's just play a game because, you know, you worry about money more than most things. Yes. And so let's say that we had a certain, you know, that you or anybody else had a certain amount of money and one person who may have just experienced a life altering thing, maybe they had been sick and gotten well, or they just lost somebody really close to them. And they may look at that money and say, I'm going to go on a trip. Mm -hmm. I am going to go live my life because that's what I've learned is most important is experience and, and going out there in the world. Cause I just, you know, I just was just given my life back Sure. or I was just, you know, I just realized I have this life to live. And so the money makes sense in that moment to go live where you would probably say, no, I'm going to save it. I'm going to have it grow. I'm going to make it work until retirement. That's a right choice for you in that moment. But there isn't like the right choice, you know? Sure. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Loretta Ross. Okay. Um, I know I'm not going to play a lot of these clips, but just so people can hear her voice Uh while we're talking about it. Sure, 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 sure. So this is the first 15 seconds or 20 seconds of it. Um, Just so everybody knows, she's an African-American woman. And she talks about her attending a Ku Klux Klan ra- rally. Thank y'all for listening to me. I come to y'all because most black women don't go to Ku Klux Klan rallies on purpose. <laughs> I did because it was my job. I monitored hate groups. But I really wanted to find out how people could hate strangers so much. And that was her experiment. She wants to know how people can hate strangers so much. Yeah. So she goes on to say that, um, I think she talks about one of her teachers was somebody who worked with Martin Luther King Mm -hmm. Jr. Mm -hmm. And she says, if you ask people to give up hate, you need to be, you need to give them a space to land if they do. Yeah. You need to be there for them when they're giving it up. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that that was really interesting. And, you know, talk about a courageous woman. 
Well, and I think it's just a brilliant woman. Yeah. Like I think there's such a, and, and I wanted to, you know, Todd already explained who she is, but just to give her complete props, uh, Loretta Ross, African-American academic feminist and activist who act, uh, who advocates for reproductive justice, especially among women of color. As an activist, Ross has written on reproductive justice, activism, and the history of African-American women. And she studies women's rights, women's rights, human rights, and white supremacy. So she has, this has been, you know, her lifelong journey. And I think that it's a, it's a wise point because what is that quote, um, James Baldwin, I think about if you teach people, if you ask them not to hate, then, and I'm going to mess it up, but the gist of it is if they don't, then they don't know what to do with those feelings and those thoughts and those behaviors then, because hating has given them a place to put all that energy. Mm-hmm. So hate is just a version of I'm going to take everything that makes me uncomfortable and I am going to, you know, either hate this group, hate this person, hate this day, hate this world because that's what I'm going to do with all my uncomfortable energy. Um so I don't know if this is the same quote okay. you're talking about. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone they'll be forced to deal with the pain. Exactly. That's the one I was thinking of. Right. So thank you for finding it. Yes. Yeah. So we, so, you know, when we talk about groups or individuals or cults or um, organizations that we perceive to be, um, who, who, let's not even say perceive, that they outwardly are, are hating, you know, um, there's already an understanding, like people who really understand human behavior and study it or or are activists and have really created change, is that you understand that they are util- there is something that they're actively avoiding. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some kind of change that they disagree with. There's something, there's some kind of experience or trauma or pain that they've experienced, and they are just instead of dealing with that, they're gonna blame somebody. Sure. And that is just that is, and so to Loretta's point, um, you if you teach people to not hate, you have to help them then feel, yeah, or be honest or vulnerable, and that's rough. Well, one thing she says is once she got to, so she part of her job was to help people who basically moved away from a hate group. Sure, and she realized that once she got to know them, she couldn't hate them anymore. Of course not, right? Because she got to see the humanity underneath whatever hatred they displayed originally. Yeah. Um, and she has a kind of a cool quote on cults. And you talked a bit about mm-hmm. this cult versus a movement. Correct. And a cult is, and help me, sweetie, but a cult is when there's a whole bunch of people that basically say the same they thing. They say the exact same thing. And a movement when you have a bunch of people that say things that they agree on a similar outcome, but they have different perspective on how to get there or they have different thoughts on what it entails, yeah. which is that's a movement where mm-hmm. it's like we all have different ways of viewing this. We all come from a different background. We're all like bringing our awareness. We should go this way. We should go this way. And that's a movement. But a cult is everybody is thinking the exact same way and saying the exact same thing. And what she goes on to say is that tr- p- treating potential allies as enemies means that you're behaving like a cult, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other, 257, I got to play this because it was really profound. Okay. Uh, 257. Not the human rights movement. My friend, Dazon Dixon Jallo, who's a very smart woman, <laughs> says that she believes that calling in will be to this digital age human rights movement in the 21st century, what nonviolence was to the civil rights movement in the 20th century. A new way to understand how to truly achieve justice. Mm. It's not a matter of what we do, but how we do it. Now, all of us know what calling out is. And then she goes on to explain what her definition of calling out is. But I thought that was just really profound is when I think of Martin Luther King Jr., he was, or the Gandhi, it was about nonviolent resistance. Correct. And what she's saying is our version of that in 2022 is to, instead of me calling out the people who believe in spanking in Missouri, uh, instead of calling them out saying, how in the world can you possibly think that? Mm-hmm. Um, you could understand how they could think that. I could, yeah, like I could 
it's so cheap and easy for me to be like, oh, those people are not thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. When in fact, they might be thinking very clearly based on their history, exactly. their circumstances, their upbringing, mm-hmm. the, how they choose to inform themselves. Mm-hmm. And the way that they have narrated their life experience. Right. So anyways, I just thought that was worth sharing. Well, I always feel like like there was like this big, you know, when we talk about... Um, Okay, I'm just going to back up. There was an experience that happened last week or something that happened online where a wife of a country singer um, posted something on Twitter that was um, unkind to transgender kids and their families. It was kind of um, covert and not overt, but everyone could read between the lines. And there were a few uh, country singers, including Maren Morris and Cassidy Pope, who like, they were like, why are you... Why are you being cruel to mm-hmm. kids, to transgender kids? Because the woman made a comment like, I'm sure glad that when I was in my tomboy phase, my parents didn't like change my gender and mm-hmm. that now I can be a girl. Something really like non, uh, just a very uneducated thing to say. Sure. And, you know, and then um, all these, you know, right wing people came in to protect her. And, you know, and I, there was just this whole back and forth on social media, which is never that productive. And I always think to myself, like, when I hear these people who um, have these, like, kind of uneducated views on, and I'm not talking about education in the school system, I'm talking about uneducated in knowing anybody mm-hmm. who is transgender or having, you know, knowing a family. Yeah, no proximity to no proximity the person that they're accusing of being less than. Exactly. They're, they just read something, they got activated, and now they hate or they're angry or they think this is going to be a problem and they throw out words like pedophile and castration and they just have this really strong opinion. I'm always like, why doesn't someone invite them? Mm-hmm. to a, a hospital mm-hmm. or a, and when I say a hospital, it's because that's where a lot of the, um, the, you know, experiences that families are going through. It's this long process, yeah. you know, it's a process of making sure that their mental wellness is being taken care of, that their physical wellness is being taken care of as they address gender what, affirming care, gender affirming care, the great language. Thank you. That is the correct language. And so why don't we ask these people to come to a place where they can meet families face to face and hear the stories that they experience? See, I always say, that one and I, you know, I teach a so I teach a social work class, and I always say I feel like I'm in the best profession ever because I get the opportunity to meet so many different people and so many different experiences, um, you know, just across genders, across sexuality, across race, and so then you realize we're all the same. Like the gift that that I have in in my work world and in my education is that you realize that there aren't simple yeah. th- things like that where you say all these people are bad and mm-hmm. all these people are good. It just doesn't make sense. And so I wonder why we try and fight this battle when people on online or on social media, when people are just they 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 have limited information to get, um, to really understand who these human beings are. And I'm like, why doesn't someone invite them and mm-hmm. say, I'd like you to meet, my, you know, this person or this family, or I would like you to see this process, like take it off of a specific family and have a doctor Mm -hmm. or a mental health professional walk them through. So what would happen if uh, somebody from Missouri who wrote these laws said, hey, why don't you come down and... Exactly. Well, why don't you come down and observe how we spank our kids? Like, I don't think I'd want to go see that. So there's a lack of curiosity in me. So so I'm, I'm just... I, I guess I'm just speaking on behalf of why people don't do it. It's because there's a, a certainty that most of us think we have, that we own the truth. We know how this is supposed to go, right? I guess I guess so. But I also think there. this is what human rights are all based on. Like, if I, I thought where you were going is if someone said, come down here, this is the decision we've made in our school system, but I would like to hear your perspective on this. I can't promise you that I could change people's minds mm-hmm. with the research that I bring or the information I bring or my professional experience. I don't know, but at least they're open to hearing. This is another thing that could happen. And even though this was maybe your personal experience and you view this as being something that will change behavior, here's the reasons it won't. Then you have to let go mm-hmm. because you can't force people. Now, in terms of like, I think what you're saying is I'm like- I'm saying if they invited me down there, I would not lack the curiosity. I think that I'm right and they're wrong. And- You would lack curiosity? 
Yeah, if they're like, come down and and see the misbehaviors of these children and see how productive spanking is. But I think you're viewing it through the lens of you think you'd be going out there as a blank slate. You would be coming with your information as well, and they would share with you why they have gotten to where they are, and Mm -hmm. you would share what you know Yeah, and in a research-based way. Well, and the only reason I said if they invited, because how you started was like, what if somebody, why don't, why didn't somebody at the hospital invite the other side Correct. to come in. And I was just using that same metaphor in the Missouri example. Well, and really it's the same energy. Like if if really if this school system or any school system who had decided to reinstitute or, you know, rev up the corporal punishment was like, hey, come down here and we're going to share with you our perspective and you share with us yours. Mm-hmm. That's a conversation. Yeah. That's what I'd call a calling in. And that's what this whole TED Talk is about. Correct. Like how do we have a conversation? Conversations are tough. Conversations are tough. Because... Most of the time, if it's a highly charged emotional debate, we get scared if somebody comes in from the other side that disagree with us. So it takes not just one party to have a conversation, it requires two people to have a conversation. And I'm not saying it's not possible, of course it is, but that it's the reason it doesn't happen because it's hard. It's well, challenging. Because it's hard. And also, if you see this perspective, then it's like a it's like a game of Jenga. As mm-hmm. soon as you pull that piece out, if somebody came, it's somebody who had decided to be angry about children who are transgender, they've decided, I'm just angry about it. And I'm mad at the parents and they're all horrible people. Mm-hmm. If they were to meet families or children and see... Mm-hmm what they didn't know and get a professional perspective on what they didn't understand, what they have not yet been educated on, it would be this Jenga piece where you pull it out and it makes a lot of other points maybe that they have about people to be more flimsy. And so part of the reason that we don't like to hear the other perspective is it's the, these are the building blocks Mm -hmm. that a lot of our viewpoints are built on. And this is kind of, you know, you were talking about that Adam Grant, um, you know, suggested this Ted talk. Yeah. And I'm actually using his book this semester, my book and his book in um, my social work class. And his whole thing about thinking again is the ability to have curiosity and humility when it comes to learning. Right. Like that believing that confidence means you stick by your points no matter what, that's not confidence. Yeah. That's like being shut down. Mm. That's like being stuck in your ways. That's not leadership. Mm. Like true leadership is the ability to have some open-mindedness that maybe I missed something along the way. Yeah, I think what we're talking about is curiosity. Curiosity, yeah. Um, so I think she, we, I don't know, think we have to play this part, but just the definition of calling out is just like, I don't know, how would you, how would you, what language would you use to define what the call out culture is. Okay. So calling out is bringing public attention to an individual group or organization's harmful words or behavior. Okay. Mm -hmm. So public. So basically that's when you're tweeting about somebody, that's when you are, you know, posting your story about something and saying this person did this. Um, A a lot of times it's when you're trolling, you know, and and calling them out. Now, let me be clear. Um, You know, there's a lot of gray and nuance in here that... This is not, I don't believe that we're saying this is good, this is bad. And what we're saying is calling out, you know, it's kind of like being in a, let's let's bring it into a more like micro level. Um, it's when you're in a group of friends maybe and a friend said something and you actually call them out and say, wait a second, yesterday you said this mm-hmm. and now you're saying something different. So you're putting that friend on the spot yeah. to explain why their behavior yeah. is different in this moment. It may be effective in that you'll get that friend to kind of, you know, Mm. back up and be like, wait a second. But there might be an explanation for it. The friend could have forgotten. The friend could have been like, oh, I was wrong. And there's a public humiliation and embarrassment that goes along with it. And I know that there's people who do this. Like there's organizations that their whole tactic is we are going to shine the light publicly on these people so they backpedal. And let's be honest, it's worked Mm -hmm. in certain situations. So I think what this TED Talk is saying is that what if we could get this to work in a way where we weren't using shame? Yeah. And that is what calling in is. 
Yeah. And I think my best example of that, and I've said this on the podcast before, but I'll say it again. I had a friend who was at work and there was a bunch of guys sitting around and one of the guys used the P word and the P word uh, is another word for the, the slang term for female genitalia, let's Cat? just say. Yes. And um, my friend had a choice. He could either, either called him out in that moment and he didn't. He breathed. He took a second. And he decided he was going to talk to him in his office later on in the day. So he called him in. Called him in. And he's like, you know, just so you know, I've used that word too. And I'm not proud of it. I just wanted you to know that from my perspective, that, that, that this is not a cool word to use. Like, I think that's a really beautiful example of, because if he would have said something in the moment in front of the other guys in the circle, um, it would have turned into either something contentious or really awkward. And I don't think there would be much listening going on from either side. Well, it you know, when we do that, there are two things. There's a bunch of things that happen. But I think defensiveness and embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And when your brain is defensive or embarrassed, Shuts there's off. not a lot of learning going on. Yeah. Same thing with anger. Now, it's interesting, though, because I, I'm thinking of different personality types. And some people just do that. Yeah. They call out. Yeah. And they do it in the moment. And they do it publicly or they do it in front of people. Because, um, again, public can mean Twitter, but public can also mean at a dinner party. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we're, you know, it just depends on the setting. And some people, that's their, you know, like if I think of somebody who's very, uh, like let's talk Enneagram 8, mm -hmm. you know, like somebody who is not afraid of conflict, who is maybe a social justice warrior. Yeah. They're going to be like, no, this is not okay right now here. And it can be effective it's just... It depends on what you how you define effective. Exactly. It, it, if your plan is to shut that person down and and maybe have them even even dig the, themselves in even more yeah. into their own belief system, yeah. that's not very effective. So yeah. I think what Loretta is trying to teach me slash us is the only way that things happen is with conversation. And yeah. the only way to have a conversation is to, to be able to listen. And the only way people listen is if they're not defensive. So the calling out idea, and and we talk, and we'll talk about the calling on as mm -hmm. well. Yes. But um, I just want to. So what she basically says is, the way she likes to call people in, um, if you feel safe, like there's always power dynamics Correct. that need to be understood. Correct. But if you feel safe, you can just say, "That's an interesting point of view. Tell me more. Tell me more." And like, and that can be done publicly. Yes. So. This is what, again, let's take Twitter out of it and let's just talk about groups and mm -hmm. small groups. Like I could feel like calling out where you're like, you're awful. Why would you say that? That kind of thing. That's just kind of a shame-based experience, right? But if I was in a group and somebody said – and you and I were talking about an example recently um, this morning where somebody said something that I felt was derogatory and racist. And I, and I said to that person, oh, I, I don't think that's true. Let me share some information with you that you may not have. And there was a – I think a feeling in the moment of I am saying – well, and you know what? In some ways, that might be a calling on. Mm. It doesn't matter. But there are times that you can say something about it without shaming that person. Yeah. You can say to them, and actually, I'll just go back to your example so I don't get too far, saying to somebody, um, oh, really? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that experience. And actually, you know, we used to talk about this all the time, Todd. It's reminding me of... Um, when you went, you know, overt misogyny that somebody doesn't really understand that they're saying something misogynistic yeah. and just saying to them, wait, explain that to me again. Mm -hmm. What is your belief? Oh, yeah. Because what you're doing is instead of saying to them, you're a jerk, you're saying, process that for me. Like yeah. really think through that while looking me in the eyes mm -hmm. and you're not saying anything, but explain. Right. Um, can we listen to but 45 sure, seconds sure. of her? Thank you. All you're admitting at that moment is that there's a possibility that they're as complicated as you are. And everybody deserves to be heard and to be respected. And if you use this call-in practices like I'm teaching, what you'll do is several things. First of all, you'll lead with love instead of anger and allow somebody else to grow. Secondly, it'll affirm your own inner empathy and your compassion. And you'll feel so good about yourself mm. when you learn that you can grow too. 
in embracing and inviting more people into the world. And then the third thing is that you can call in your friends, your families, your neighbors, your coworkers, all the people you might have given up on in the past because of how they've hurt you. All right. It's nice. It is. It's lovely to listen to. But you know what stands in the way? Hmm. I'm realizing as we talk about this, people love to be right. Yes. And people love to be righteous. Yes. And they love to have people say... Me too. You I, know, I love to be right. And and I just think we just get such a high off of talking about somebody Power and making over. them wrong. Yeah. And we're right. And aren't we great? And they're bad. Like, it's just this sense of belonging and empowerment that comes from not a healthy place mm-hmm. because to to hold on to it you have to continue to put people down and you need to be right and they need to be wrong um so it's not a great place to you know to ground your feet but man it it just cuz i'm i'm just realizing as i'm talking about it i keep kind of playing both sides of that you know but yeah sometimes you just got to say something and that comes from my sense of that i do believe in certain situations there are there's dignity and human rights, and then there's your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> because if you really believe that, then you don't believe in the rights of all human beings. And so I get very righteous about it, and I have to remember that this person in front of me is also a human being, like that they have been harmed or hurt or given information or grew up in a culture or a society that told them something different. Mm. And so when we say, how could anyone think that way? Well, let me go through the list of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's what they learned in their home. It's what they saw in their neighborhood. It's what they were taught at school. Like there's a million reasons. So the whole idea of calling in is the ability to share each other's experiences yeah. and then decide where we will go from there. Um, do you want to... So the calling in is probably the most challenging because it requires us to drop our defenses, which is hard for, for me to do. Um, and it requires the most empathy and love, which most of the time I'm not in a position to do because I'm scanning my environment for threats. So, Well, and something was said that triggered you. Yeah, right. So something Just that is... puts me on my heels instantly. So will you... Um, I think you remember what she says about calling on people, which yeah. I think requires a little bit less love and empathy, but still not calling people out. Yeah. So if, cause I kind of was moving into calling on before mm-hmm. I, I was kind of combining it with calling in, but just to like give a little more specific about calling in so I can move to calling on. Calling in is an invitation to a one-on-one or small group communication to bring attention to an individual individual or group's behavior that's harmful. Um, You know, it's often about prejudice and bias and misogyny and all that kind of thing. So that's calling in like a small group conversation or back and forth. Which is really important because even that, like I gave you my little example, my buddy and his coworkers, he made it from a seven-person group into a one-on-one. Right. So he called him, he literally called him into his office and had a one-on-one communication, which I think you're more likely to have connection, but go ahead. Right. So, and calling on the example that she gives that I loved, and Todd and I had good talks about this, is she said, calling on is where you basically question something in the moment and allow them to figure out where they are with it. For example, she said, if someone said something overtly racist, she's like, you may like cock your head to the side and say, excuse me? I so, beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. You know, kind of like a, what did you just say? Mm. And then a Did laugh. I hear you right? Right. So you're calling on them to explain. Now, that's a very, that's a huge parenting technique, right? Mm. How often have we like turned around and been like, excuse me? Sure. Kind of like, did you just say what I think you said? And so there's like a calling on what it does. Like, what does it do in the moment with someone? Obviously, they can raise the stakes and yell back at you. Yeah, they can get even. Sure. So it depends on even how you say, excuse me, can I beg your pardon? I beg your pardon, exactly. But um, what it does is it puts the person who just said whatever that thing is that you thought was um, hurtful to have them really think about and explain why... They would say that. ...this hurtful thing came out of their mouth. You know what the worst is? Is when someone's like, I'm just kidding. (laughs) If you're... So I I don't know what I would say, but I'd say if, if you're kidding... That's meant to be a joke, and it's not funny. I know. Like, I don't know what I would say, but because you're right, that's what we say. Oh, don't be so sensitive. Or I'm just kidding. Like our guy in uh, Wonderless, <laughs> Ken uh, Marino. 
Ken Marino. <laughs> well, and it's, it's funny because um, I knew, I used to know this person who would say hurtful things and then go, JK, JK. Like even before someone responded, they would say something hurtful and buffer it with obviously JK is just kidding. Mm. So you couldn't say anything to them because they were, it was like this constant like interaction where they were like, I'm going to say a rude thing, say JK, so you can't say anything. So I think about I would it. say if they say JK, I would be like, just so you know, the way that landed for me, it's kind of hurtful. Like, because right. well, when there's when they're just kidding, they may not have any idea that what they're saying might be hurtful. So the language you just used is sometimes what you and I do on the show where we use this really formal language because yeah. you wouldn't say that sentence. Yeah. So imagine that I just imagine it's me. I'd, be, I'd say, ouch, man. That's what you'd say. Yeah. That's what you wouldn't say. That really hurt me because yeah. we don't talk like that. Mm-hmm. You would say, ouch, or what? Mm-hmm. You know, like, wait a second. Yeah. So sometimes that is what necessitates a calling out or excuse me, a calling on. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're kind of ringing the bell for a moment in the conversation that this isn't landing. What exactly do you mean? Yeah. So you're not saying to them, hey, you're a jerk. Explain yourself. You're saying, what did you say? And it puts the onus on them. Mm-hmm to explain why they said it. You know, we in Mankind Project, which is an organization that I belong to, we use a lot of ouch and oops. Okay. And oops is like, I just said something that I kind of regret. Uh-huh. That's an oops. And an ouch is whatever you just said, ouch. Right. But it's just a very quick economical way of communicating. Like, ouch or my bad. Oops. Right. Right. That did not come out right at all. Anyways. Yeah. And I think a lot of us employ that already in conversation where we realize something we just said was not great yeah. or someone said something and maybe they had a best intention, but it didn't land. You know, mm-hmm. it's our whole thing with impact and intention. Yeah. Um, and the I think it's just giving, you know, what is Loretta Ross trying to help us with in this TED Talk? She's basically saying that our culture of calling out people in publicly is while understandable in that some people are doing things that are very hurtful and harmful, it isn't necessarily affecting change the way we would like it to. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Tarana Burke and Brene Brown and a lot of other people have been saying the same thing. Like as much as we love to use shame on people, it really is not what creates change. You know what I think of? Hmm. And this may not, this may get me into tricky waters, but I think of Matt Damon when he said that uh, thing during the height of the Me Too movement. Uh-huh. And people were like going nuts Uh on Matt Damon. We'll give more example. Basically, in the midst of, like you said, in the midst of that environment. I think he was trying to discern the difference between, um, in the workplace, sexual... um, There's a difference between sexual assault and saying something that's inappropriate. Correct. And I think that um, the amount of people calling him out... And I think of what Loretta Ross said was, you're, we're treating Matt Damon, a potential ally, as an enemy. So the amount of calling out, but there's also, you know, the whole idea that he's a white privileged man. And and it's not his time to speak because right. it was about women. Right. So in that case, if we could do that moment over again, do we want to call Matt Damon out with the same uh, volume that we did in the past? Or do you want to like... Hey, Matt, let me help you understand what you just said. My guess is both were happening. So if you are on Twitter or if you watch TMZ, you probably saw a lot of people calling him out and, you know, be disparate. They Mm. were just disparaging and shut up. And what do you know? So there was a lot of that, which was a lot of anger that's been justifiably building up for years and years and years. Not at Matt Damon, but about this experience of women's, you know, treatment. And at the same time, I'm sure there were women mm-hmm. or people in his life that did treat him like an ally and mm-hmm. said, listen, it's not about what you were sharing. It was about the timing yeah. and about that you were getting the spotlight and telling women how to look at this. Yeah. And this is women's turn to say, here's our experience. Can you look at it through our lens? Mm-hmm. And he was saying, no, look at it through my lens. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I would, I'm sure 
that there were people calling him in. It just publicly all we saw was yeah, the calling you him don't, out. You don't hear that part. Exactly. And again, the comment about him or any, you know, a lot of people who are like, God, you know, cancel culture went after Matt Damon. Can you believe that? He didn't get canceled. Mm-hmm. He's fine. Yeah. He got a little bit uh, publicly yeah, he's ridiculed. he's still making movies, doing his thing. But he's doing fine. Yeah. So it just was a moment of maybe humility for mm-hmm. him. And I would agree with you. You could probably point to things and say this, but this person said this. And I'd say, you're right. That mm-hmm. was over the top. Mm-hmm. It's not about who's right and wrong. It's about seeing the whole picture. Right. And so I would hope, you know, but it, but that in itself is cultural change. Like sometimes it's like one of those things where there is no, you know, somebody has to break something and do something different for create, you know, to, for change yeah. to begin, you know, someone has to not give up their seat right. and say no. Right. And someone, and someone may say, well, that's not the way you do it. You need to follow these laws or whatever. And, but there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance in these discussions. For sure. There, and I think what she's sharing, what Loretta is sharing with her extensive, you know, activism and experience is consider that calling in not only helps this person grow and gives them an opportunity. Helps us grow. It helps us If we're grow. doing it. Yeah. Exactly. So do you feel like we can switch over to how Please. this relates to parenting? Yes. And to partnership? So let's just go through all three. So if I am frustrated at Todd, which occasionally happens because, you know, we've been married 20 years and we live together and we have <laughs> and we have combined lives and there's just no way to not get frustrated at your partner. And I'm sure everyone's like, yeah, Kathy, we got it. So I could in the middle of a family dinner or in the middle of a dinner party with other people or in the middle of, you know, a movie theater say, Todd. You're driving me crazy, and you did not. Uh, what's what's something you didn't do? You did not. I do everything perfectly. Clean. Like, let's just keep something easy. Clean the bathroom. Yeah. You just did not clean the bathroom, and you don't think any. You depend on me to do this. It's driving me crazy, and the kids are sitting there listening, and they're uncomfortable. And if we're at a dinner party, everyone's uncomfortable, and I am making you. I am calling you out mm-hmm. and saying you should have done this. In public. Correct. From a lack of curiosity. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and calling in would be, can we have a discussion? Yeah. Can we talk about this later? Can we talk about this later? Or can we talk about this Help now? Help me understand why you didn't clean the bathroom the way you said you were going to. Correct. Help me understand that. Because I don't get it. Because you said you were going to do it, yet you didn't do it. And I know you're, you know, one of the big important things is I know you're a responsible guy. Yeah. So basically, you're really good at these things, yet this doesn't get done. So it doesn't match up. Yeah. Like what's what's not happening? So not only am I being curious, but I'm demonstrating to him that I see his skill set. Mm. And then calling on, I think, would be if he was in the bathroom and said, God, this bathroom's so messy. It's driving me crazy. I might say, excuse me? I beg your pardon. <laughs> what? And, and maybe he would go, okay, I know I was supposed to clean it. So there, so you can see from those three examples, um, calling on would be more of something we couldn't, we don't know that that's going to happen. That just happened in a moment. Calling in would be, and I think what we do, you, you and I have been talking about this for 11 years on this podcast, is we don't say anything because we're super uncomfortable with a conversation that needs to be had. Mm -hmm. And we process it in our minds and we don't think we can do it and we decide it's not going to help anyway. But then at the family dinner, we get so overwhelmed, we explode. Sure. And so the calling out becomes a repression Mm -hmm. of a lot of things we wish we would have said before or that we should have said before. And then it becomes more messy and shame-filled yeah. and can drive our communication or our connection down. Sure. And so you can see how that can be. Um, do we want to give a parenting example? Sure. Well, I guess a calling out would be when our kids are either in front of their friends or maybe in front of their siblings or just, again, at the dinner table or whatever. And we say, you never do your homework. Why don't you ever do your homework? Um, I'm getting tired of this. Um, you're never listening, uh, whatever it may be. And we're doing it in front of other people. We're doing it in, at a time when maybe, um, they're busy or, you know, it's just basically again, an unloading, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm calling you out on this. A calling in would be 
the same thing we just talked about, a conversation of going to their room, they're maybe playing a video game or whatever, and say, when you're done, I want to ask you a question. And then saying, listen, I'm curious. You're a bright kid. I see how much you read. I see how interested you are So it, you know, in learning. So tell me why don't you get things turned in in class? Because I know you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. So tell me what happens in between the doing the work and getting it turned in. Or you could just bless that kid up with the amount of responsibility that they do display. Correct. Maybe not in terms of homework, but in terms of taking care of their siblings. Their dog. Or mowing the lawn. Take, being good to their friends. So that's part of the calling in culture is can we, you know, it's just a, an idea of if you want to have a conversation with somebody, you got to soften them up. You do. We as human beings, if if I think I'm about to be criticized for whether or not I clean the bathroom or if I do a good podcast or not, and somebody's giving me um, feedback from a reactive place, I'm going to meet them with that same reactivity on most days. It's reciprocity. Yeah. That's how human behavior works. And, and that's the thing that's tough here is I know there's a lot of people who just feel people are so deserving or their children are deserving or their partner is deserving of a certain kind of anger or volatility. And while I may say, yeah, I understand that you feel that way, but let me tell you, it doesn't work. Yeah. So we can say, but I should be able to yell at them. I should be able to say this. I should be able to call this person out. Yeah, but it it doesn't, it's not super effective. Like I get the feelings you're having. And then the calling on is a kid who's like, you know, I'm just going to make up something where the kid's like, well, I didn't turn that in because I didn't know, you didn't tell me to. <laughs> and then saying, excuse me? I beg your pardon. Wait a second. I'm not in charge of getting help tell, telling you to get stuff in. And now that that door is open, can we talk about what the expectation is? Because yeah. I don't want to be involved in you believing that that's why you're not turning well, things in. Well, that's set and clean agreements clean expectations Correct. of who's in charge of what. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very grateful that... I don't think they're written anywhere, but we've somehow, maybe you should take credit for the sweetie, brought up three daughters that really do take control of their own school system. Well, I think there's two things to keep in mind. Number one, that the girls don't have any identifiable um, learning disorders that we're sure. aware of. Right. So I, it's not fair to compare right. and say, well... Um, you know, this kid does this better than this kid when this kid may have some kind of learning challenge that doesn't work well in the school system. So it's not their fault. You know, it's like if they have a significant ADHD or, you know, some kind of um, organizational processing, Mm -hmm. it's harder to get things in. So that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is that um, we have always, since the kids are little, talked to them about school being a game you have to play. And that... We, it's not that we don't think it's serious. And we play the supporting role, but she, they're the main actors. They're the, they're the game players yeah. and that they know. And see, it's been easy for me to do that because I'm a teacher. Their, um, their cousin is a teacher. My aunt was a principal. My mom was a teacher. So they know that we uphold education. Yeah. Like this is not about education isn't important. It's about, guys, there's this system that you got to learn how to play. And if you drop this ball or this ball or this ball, everything gets hard. Yeah. So just show up turn things in. And if you don't do well on a test, so be it. You get up and you start again. So you also have to learn how to fail. Yeah, right. But I think that sometimes when we go after school, when I'm saying go after school, what I mean is when we make school this like, this is the most important thing and you have to take it seriously. And if you don't, these things, then our kids are afraid of it. Yeah, right. And they don't see it as, oh, I just have to fill in these, you know. But again, it's easy for us to say that because sure. they, um, you know, if you have a kid who really struggles with reading... That's a lot harder. Right. Um, So my hope is anybody listening this far into the podcast to take 14 minutes and listen to Loretta Ross. It was really impactful for me. And I hope that if you do choose to listen, it'll be as impactful for you because um, it's it's obvious while at the same time, very difficult. Um, But I get inspired when I hear people that are practicing some of these really important human characteristics like listening and empathy and... um, And these thought leaders. I mean, this is um, a black female activist. Yeah. And if she is telling us in my work, mm. in my social justice work, so not just me as a human being, but in the work I do, mm. you know, like she said, going to a KKK meeting, yeah. if I am learning that this is the most effective thing, yeah. then that's pretty solid evidence. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I, you know, 
I am going, I'm going to go with that. Well, and I, I'm just trying to picture myself in that, like, I'm a white man and I would be terrified going mm-hmm. into a KKK mm-hmm. meeting. I can only imagine the, um, what it would be like for a person of color to go mm-hmm. into a meeting like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I get inspired by Me these too. people who display such courage. And um, trust in the human spirit Yeah, is not only... Not only do they trust in their own human spirit, but they realize that people are people and that there's always room to see things differently and that there's always room to grow and to heal and to recognize a different perspective. I think that um, and I know there are people who never will. There will pe- there are people who become bigoted or they're prejudiced and they die that way. Like I'm very aware that not everybody lives a, a you know, a movie of the week where they become, you know, awakened and enlightened. But that is always a possibility, that there is always room um, or there's room to find, because I'm thinking of a few people in my life that that I've talked to, you know, that maybe they've said something offensive or they know that my belief system is different than theirs. And we've come to an agreement that we're not going to talk about those things and debate them, that if they are going to say this in my presence, I am going to say something. But I also know that who they are is more than just this mm-hmm. um, and that we have an agreement because I feel like that connection and that relationship gives them, offers both of us more hope for, you know, new growth, the, the you know, the ability to um, see people in a new way and recognize that they're not just the worst thing they've done or said, that there's more to them. Um that is, and it's a, it's compassion, it's empathy, it's it's a certain kind of trust in human beings. It's dignity. Um, Sweetie, why am I playing this song? Because so Depeche Mode rules. You just said people are people. I know. I know that's why you played it, but oh, you did. I was just also saying because Depeche Mode um, rules. And then doesn't Dr. Seuss have a people are people type quote, or am I just making that up? You mean the per- who one, no matter how a person, small? person, no matter how small, something like that. Anyways, um, a few things before we close shop. Uh, Team Zen, uh, we just did one last week. We have another one coming up on Wednesday, September 14th at 11 a.m. The last one we did, one of our Team Zen members um, was struggling with a um, narcissistic grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then the other was this... Poor mom was getting... Well, not poor mom. Well, she was... This mom was. This mom, it, it, it's an effort of empathy when Got I it. say this yeah. poor mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, she didn't like whatever, make the lunch right. And her kid is like oh, yeah. just going nuts on her. Yeah, her kid was upset. Yeah, so I'm not a perfect mom. That's what I titled yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you are interested in uh, working or spending some live time with Kathy and I on Zoom twice a month, uh, check it out. And I think everybody's going to, well, not everybody, but if you listen to the show, I really would consider joining Team Zen for a few reasons. Number one, Todd and I have a plan. Um, and I don't know when we're going to implement this plan. It'll be in the next couple months, but we are going to bring back speakers to Team Zen, like people that, you know, thought leaders that I think you guys really will love and authors that you really will love. And we're going to bring them to the Team Zen audience so people can ask questions and have some personal time with them. Um, and we're really going to make Team Zen um, an opportunity to not only feel heard, but to support other people and to learn something new. Mm. So I kind of, Team Zen for Todd and I, I mean, it's been wonderful and effective for years now, but we're always trying to say like, how do we explain what we do? Because if you are on Team Zen and you are part of the conversations, even if you're not there and you listen to it as a podcast later, because that's what happens if you're not there for the live call, then when Todd uploads the call, it shows up in your podcast app. And people who even listen are like, wow, that conversation changed everything for me. They're, they're very intimate and they're very um, um, perspective changing. Well, we also have two micro communities, we yeah. call them. Um, one is uh, parents of differently wired children. And the other one, which is kind of brand new, which is um, parents that are struggling, have struggled with. Or just dealing with separation and divorce. Dealing with separation and divorce. Yeah. 
Um, so that's another micro micro community that's just kind of starting out, but we've already had one meeting and there's another one on the schedule. So, so it's just groups within the group. Like people are realizing, you know, cause someone comes on and asks a question and Todd and I obviously share kind of the way we do on this show, you know, like perspective taking self-awareness, but then people who are on team Zen share, I've gone through the exact same thing. Here's what I did. And all of a sudden people build friendships and community and people they can rely on. And it just becomes a, um, uh, su- supportive. And, you know, we, you know, a lot of people have been emailing a- about, um, Todd does do one-on-one coaching, but I don't really do that right now. And so I always suggest to people, if you really want to like ask a question, come to Team Zen because it's not just me, it's me and Todd and then other people who often have really amazing perspectives. Team Zen, zero pressure, 100% support. Um, so, and I can't forget about our other partner, uh, Jeremy Kraft, he's a bald headed beauty. He does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. And Jeremy's website is avidco.net. So if you're doing a bathroom, a kitchen, paint your house, whatever, he's your guy as long as it's in the Chicagoland area. And I also want to share that last week, um, for those of you who know Dr. Alexandra Solomon, she has a podcast called Reimagining Love. And last week, Todd and I were on her podcast as as a love story. Um, basically, we shared our partnership, work, you know, marriage, um, parenting story. And um, it was great. I mean, it was, I actually listened to it, Todd, and it was, it was interesting to listen to you because we were just basically having a conversation. So I'd forgotten everything we said. Um, But I was so appreciative that she asked us to do it. And I think if you haven't already, everybody, you should subscribe to her podcast as well, because she has great, not just the love stories, but she also does her own, um, you know, podcast where she talks about something that's very helpful to your relationships. And she also has, you know, thought leaders and and guest speakers. So um, reimagining love, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Yeah. She's also got quite a following on Insta. So that's a place to go to. And I guess that's about it. And then my book, if you're interested, if you need a new fall read. Zen Parenting is out there for you. Yeah, check it out. Uh, All that stuff is in the show notes. So if you're like, "Uh, how do I do all that? Just scroll Scroll down down. on your phone and you'll find it. Keep trucking, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are always grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering Kathy's Zen Parenting book or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking and we will talk to you again next week.